0: Does God set up harems or brothels? Bishop Earl and I will talk about that next on Polygamy. What love is this? A book entitled God's Brothel, which was published in 2004, is one of those kinds of books that are often referenced when it presents pioneering information on a particular topic. We find this book uh, frequently referenced so that so often, actually, I saw yeah. it just recently, again, that we decided it was time to discuss it on our show. It was written by Andrea Moore Emmett and published by Pince Nez Press of San Francisco. And the author gives a brief history of polygamy, Joseph Smith's style, and the early Mormon teachings about polygamy. And then she goes on to list 11 of the contemporary polygamy groups, mentioning that there are thousands, even tens of thousands of polygamists who are not even group-affiliated. We never, No way would we know how many polygamists there actually are. No her book is unique in its time it was written so many years ago what 15 years ago because the author focuses on one woman per chapter and then tells her story and her experiences including the sexual and the physical abuses that each woman and her children suffered she addresses the economic fraud the prohibiting of medical treatment lack of education underage marriages incest and birth defects it's almost impossible to reconcile the image of women saying that they're happy in polygamy after reading the stories that she has recounted in this book. And some of the people that she talked about, I know. You know I know. Personally. I have talked to them. I know personally some of them. I'm just an acquaintance, but I am uh, certainly aware of some of them, not all of them, of course. From so, the,
1: so I'm sorry. So the people that don't uh, that say that polygamy is good. They're just not paying attention, or they're just covering it up, or they're lying about it.
0: Uh, uh, Polygamous wives, or other people—plural wives—who say the plural
1: wives that Mm -hmm. are saying that this stuff doesn't exist.
0: Uh, That's a lie that they tell themselves. Um, Mary Mackert called it the drug of their choice, lying to Mm. themselves—the drug of their choice—and that's basically what it is. They're earning their way to heaven, and they have to go through this misery to get there. To them, it's worth it. And
1: they just stick with it. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Um, We want a quote from the back cover, which explains what the book's about.
1: A chilling indictment of contemporary Mormon and Christian fundamentalist polygamy, God's Brothel reveals gruesome facts about Bible-based polygamy through the brave voices of 18 women who escaped from 10 of the 11 main religious groups as well as independent families. Their stories include rape, incest, orgies, and violence, making this form of polygamy more akin to sexual slavery than to any quaint religious or lifestyle
0: choice. And indeed, the book is filled with that kind of information. Wow, so sad. Most of the real-life experiences that are recorded in this book are chilling, and they are living nightmares. Although each woman comes from different backgrounds, each one desired, and this is the sad part of it, they desire to live pure and righteous lives before God and they think that Mormon fundamentalism is the way. They've been brainwashed to believe that. Mm. But instead, they they lived, in, instead of godly and peaceful lives, they lived lives of guilt-ridden, pain, fear, and suffering in the polygamy environment. Now, through their experiences, we learn that when power and control are exclusively in the hands of a godless authority, it becomes corrupted, and at least for a while, the only way to survive is to submit to their cruel domination. When people leave polygamy, most of them leave with deep physical, emotional uh, and psychological scars. Yeah. All of the Mormon groups believe in the Mormon scriptures, all the Mormon polygamy groups believe in the Mormon scriptures, which is the Pearl of Great Price Book of Mormon Doctrine and Covenants. Yeah. And they all use the Bible as their basis <laughs> or foundation for polygamy, but of course they have to twist every scripture and pull it out of context in order to make it work for their claims. Now she has a section entitled with a question, religious freedom or freedom to exploit. Now this is a question that we have been asking sure. for many many years. It seems like the freedom of religion is more important than the abuses that's going on inside the religion. She writes about the case or the ease that it is for polygamous men to recruit Mormon girls into polygamous marriages.
1: Many polygamists find that recruiting Mormon women into polygamy is very easy. Mormon fundamentalist polygamists are adept at using the Mormon scriptures, mainly Doctrine and Covenants section 132, as a persuasive, cautionary tale to believing Mormon women and girls. Emma, Joseph Smith's first wife, according to the scripture, is told by God that she will be destroyed if she does not accept polygamy. With the power of the scriptures, polygamy continues its enslavement of women who are manipulated into believing that to do otherwise is to reap eternal damnation. By believing, however, they make of their lives a hell on earth.
0: It, it, wow. is, a, it is a storm within us, I, <laughs> I can tell you for sure. The author compares the oppression of women in polygamy to the control and oppression of the Taliban women and other cu- cultures of that region.
1: Yeah, This is on page 49 of her book. Under the Taliban of Afghanistan, women's bodies were forced under the all-concealing burqa. In Saudi Arabia, the religious police stop women if their ankles are visible beneath the mandatory black robes. In polygamy, the covering of women's bodies is also used to control them and to shame the female form under the lofty auspices of modesty.
0: Most females in Mormon polygamy groups grow up with no healthy role models. They are used as mere child birth machines, given a quota of delivering a child a year. Domestic violence and spousal rape are not acknowledged for what they are, so there are no consequences for the men who do them. In some polygamous communities, there's no help from the police because the police are polygamous too. On page 55, the author begins with Vicky's story. Vicki had married a returned Mormon missionary, and together they zealously studied the Mormon faith. They realized that the contemporary LDS church had changed drastically from his original doctrines and dogma, and specifically that they had abandoned the law and the celestial marriage, which of course is polygamy. So they went to the Mormon church leaders for an explanation. They got no help in answering their questions. So they went to the Mormon fundamentalist leaders who did have answers for their questions. They told them that Mormon president Wilford Woodruff had signed his eternal life away when he signed the manifesto which plunged the LDS church into apostasy. Mm. And for those who may not be familiar with the Mormon history, the 1890 manifesto is the document that president of the Mormon church, Wilford Woodruff, Woodruff, issued terminating LDS polygamy however it is not filed as a revelation but as a declaration no. and the Mormons did not give up polygamy until 1904 rather than 1890 back to Vicki she and her husband Greg uh, chose to join a select group that were living polygamy they believed that God had intended it that way her story goes from bad to worse as you read Vicky's experiences. Her husband, Greg, eventually met a young woman named Marlene. She would become his second wife and Vicky's first sister wife. We quote from page 57.
1: All her life, Marlene's father had told her, you're too, you're too pretty and too good to be a second wife. Second place wasn't what Marlene intended, but she relented to Greg's persuasion. At the wedding, Vicki, pregnant with their fourth child, placed Marlene's hand into, her, into the hand of her husband and gave Marlene to Greg. Vicky feels she lost her partnership with her husband from that day on. Later, she would ask, how can I give this woman to you when I don't own her?
0: That's an awesome question. <laughs> question. I love that question. How can a first wife give another wife to her husband when she doesn't own her? Uh, we'd really like to hear from some polygamous man a, a valid answer to that question. After several years of severe mental and emotional abuse, Vicky got out of the marriage, but she found herself in another polygamous marriage uh-huh. to a man named Christopher who later wanted out, saying that he did not practice polygamy for spiritual reasons, he just did it for his ego. Well, that crushed her. It horrified Vicki, so she got out of the marriage and out of polygamy altogether. After her. many years of further abuse and horrible poverty uh, created by the fathers of her children, she was finally able to get on with her life, but it was a long and painful struggle, which is detailed in the book. And Vicki, I have met her.
1: Mm.
0: And she, she went on to, to be kind of an um, activist okay. in anti-polygamy uh, situations. So anyway, then we're going to go to Lillian in Part 2, Chapter 3. Lillian's parents were in the Apostolic United Brethren, also known as the AUB or the All-Red Polygamy Group. Lillian grew up with six mothers and 39 siblings. <laughs> Her own mother had six children, and they lived in the Salt Lake Valley. Lillian says that her childhood was marked with one specific feeling, that she always felt unsafe. She tells about one of her mother's sister wives, Naomi.
1: Mom was always working as a nurse's aide, so we'd get dropped off at Naomi's house. But Naomi hated my mother, so she took it out on us kids, remembers Lillian. With so many kids, you try to stay out of the way. (laughs)
0: And that's something that happens a lot that isn't addressed a lot So the treatment of sister wives to the other children. Each Mormon polygamy group has their own version of the United Order. It was a lifestyle that Joseph Smith and Brigham Young both wanted the Mormon Church to adopt. Basically, it's religious communism. The members give everything they have to the leadership who distributes items and money according to the need, they say. (laughs) But instead, the leaders end up with the wealth and the members live in poverty. We quote from page 76.
1: Lillian says her mother would always hand her paycheck over to George, who used it as he wished. Our only source of food was from the garbage bins in the back of grocery stores, and it was my mom's designated job to get it, she says. One of us kids would stand watch, and mom or one of us would get inside and find the food. It was scary because we didn't want to get caught. It would take four or five hours to clean the food up when we got it back home. Isn't
0: that gross? Yeah. And we've interviewed girls from polygamy yeah. who actually were involved in that as well. We've heard this dumpster, dumpster diving story from several different interviews of people and from several different polygamy right. groups, not just one, who are forced to dumpster dive in order to supply food for their families. Now most polygamy groups also isolate members.
1: Another dictate in the order was that no one was to talk to Gentiles, meaning anyone who was not a member of the AUB. I never talked to anyone outside the All Red group until I was 14 and got a job, says Lillian.
0: That's something. Yeah. And then they teach so many negative things about people that are not in the group. Sure. Just awful things about yeah. them. And, and I know the FLDS scare would teach them, them. scare them, yeah. yeah. The FLDS would teach them anybody that's not part of, of, of our group are demon possessed. <laughs> and so, just, you know, that's a scary the evil, thing. Evil, yeah. Yeah, so See? the evilness of it. So that's another scary thing. It's brainwashing. Yeah. On page 77, uh, Lillian describes her relationship with a teenage half-brother. When she was six years old, he would take her into the basement and molest her. She says that there was another brother who was also molesting and physically abusing all the younger children, including Lillian. We quote from page 77.
1: Another brother was molesting and physically abusing all of the younger children, including Lillian, whom he raped. He would throw us across the room by our hair, she says. Now as an adult, he's in prison for rape of a child and an adult. The younger children complained about the abuse to the adults and the family to no avail. Our family just downplayed what was happening, recalls Lillian.
0: And that's the sad part. So many of them do yeah. downplay it and, and just sweep I it under the rug, it, set yeah. it aside. Uh, and we'll talk more about that a little bit as we go on. Lillian says that her family... Uh, lived in this particular communal hellhole for five years. Hmm. One day, the septic tank overflowed, and the men had to dig ditches to drain the sewage away from the house into a nearby field. Hmm. Someone turned them in to the health department who made them vacate their house. Of course they would. She remembers all that the grown-ups complained about, that this was persecution, just because they were polygamous. Polygamous. And yet it was for their health purposes that they did that. Well, she eventually got married to a man whose name was Gary, and he began to pursue a second wife. Uh, Lillian gave birth to two children, but life was so stressful for her that she began being plagued by nightmares. We quote Mm -hmm. from page 80.
1: Gary told me he was set on marrying a second wife. I got suicidal until I talked to another woman, in fact, one of the prophet's daughters. She was an example of leaving, but it took two years for me to work up to it. Finally, I told Gary I was divorcing him. I left the AUB
0: and took off my garments. Now, some polygamists do wear the Mormon garments. Do they? Yeah, okay. they do. Uh, we didn't in the Kingston group. I guess they could if they chose to, but... No. Uh, but we didn't, we weren't um, supposed, to, or we didn't have to do it to, right. to make God happy. But some of the other polygamy groups really do. Did. Yeah, they do. But anyway, it takes a long time and sometimes a lot of therapy uh, for a woman to recover from the treatment that Lillian and others have received at the hands of their priesthood-holding, patriarchal, self-righteous polygamist husbands. Oh, boy. Men who call themselves gods in embryo, Men who are looked upon by others as godly, spiritual men, and that is the hypocrisy of all this. Recovery is tough, but it can and it does happen, but a woman does have to take the first difficult and frightful step and leave. And polygamous women need to know and believe, and that's part of what Mm -hmm. my passion is, that God has not commanded polygamy. Our organization, of course, is more than willing to help whoever wants our assistance confidentially and individually. But at that time, when she wrote this book and when these women's stories were being lived, at that time there was very little available help for those who were escaping polygamy. Escapees just made it as best they could and many times were victimized all over again, which was my experience when I got out. Hmm. Chapter five begins with the story of Laura. Now, Laura was born and raised in the FLDS. Her parents were polygamists. Uh, Laura said that although the FLDS do not intermarry as closely as the Kingstons do, they do intermarry. We quote from page 93.
1: According to Laura, one of the leaders tells members that it is all right to marry relatives as close as cousins and uncles to nieces because God will change the blood so that it is not related.
0: that's good science. Yeah.
1: Like the Kingstons, they are also producing children with genetic disorders such as Downs and Tourette syndromes as well as other birth defects. Laura describes a world for girls in which there is clearly no semblance of childhood, no innocence. The high prevalence of pedophile behavior dominates the culture while the victims are forced to revere their abusers. It would be difficult to put, pull a girl out of Colorado City who hasn't been sexually assaulted, she claims. I know girls as young as 12 years old who have been forced to marry their stepfathers. When Laura was four, one of her stepbrothers tied her to a bedpost and attempted to rape her. Afterward, I was crying. My father told me he would slap me until I stopped crying, which he proceeded to do, she remembers. My mother made herself busy in the kitchen so she wouldn't have to watch.
0: That's so sad. It is very, very sad. Um, I haven't met this lady. I do know who she is, however, and I've heard her story different times. Uh, But it is normal in polygamy groups where she says, my father told me he'd slap me till I stopped crying. That is normal child discipline in polygamy groups. Um, we talked before on a show where oh, in the Kingston goodness. group where they would hold the the babies. And in the FLDS, yeah. they held the babies under water, right. running water until they stopped Took crying. Took
1: their breath away yeah. and all
0: that. Yeah, and I saw them do that to my younger brother. And I didn't mm. know what was going on. I was too young, but I remember seeing them do it. Mm. Laura explains that no mother can ever protect her own children from their sister wives. She was the 25th child of her father's 31 children and her earliest members, uh, remember <laughs> memories are uh, molestation and rape by her father when her mother was away. She tells about the terror of the expectation of her father's next nightly visit. She says this.
1: He would enter my room at night. I would wake up to his perverted acts Trembling in fear for hours after he left, that lasted until she was 13.
0: Then between the ages of 13 and 15, she was routinely fondled by some of her brothers. Tragically, this is how that problem was dealt with in her family.
1: When I confided to my mom what my brothers were doing, we had to go to my father about it. Good source. He told my mother he wanted to talk to her alone, and when she came out, she said, "Your father says we have to let brothers be who they're going to be."
0: And that's something that really gives <laughs> boys hope. Boys will be boys. Boys huh? will be boys. Yeah, and that really gives hope to the females. <laughs> and I, again, I've heard this in mm-hmm. various different situations. That that's, that's the way they deal Boy, with it. Well,
1: this ought to be screamed from the rooftops. You mm-hmm. know, that. it should. <laughs> it should.
0: Polygamous communities uh, communities demand unquestioning allegiance. And obedience to all men. It's patriarchal. It's just what it is. Laura said hers was a community that preaches, quote, you can all but kill a child for deliberately disobeying, end quote. Whatever it takes. Then she tells about her 16th birthday when her father took her for a ride and told her it was time for a sexuality lesson. He said it was a tradition for the father to take the daughters, not tell the mothers about the lesson, and to think of herself as a sister wife to her mothers. She said her father basically married her emotionally that day while she debated whether or not to kill herself. And she doesn't go into details, and it's probably just as well, of what happened. She was closely associated with other polygamy groups and communities. She had cousins and friends and relatives in various other Mormon polygamy groups. And she said that people in each polygamy group all endure the same abuses. Of course, we've known that, but it's good to have the background information. The next quote is disturbing. So if you're easily alarmed, we suggest that you don't listen to the next part of Laura's story from pages 95 and 96.
1: In the house where she was now living with her in-laws, Laura was silently watching. I could hear my father-in-law's second wife beating the children, she remembers. The same wife told me how her husband threw her down the stairs while she was pregnant. Her father-in-law's second wife soon became plagued with genital herpes on her rectum while the small grandchildren became infected with genital herpes in and on the mouth, suggesting child sexual abuse By the grandfather as the disease is spread only by genital contact.
0: Disgusting. At one point, Laura told her husband about the sexual abuse that she had endured by her father and brothers. Instead of receiving encouragement and sympathy or even outrage, her husband told her how he, at the age of 19, had molested his 11-year-old sister. (laughs) She said from that time on, she knew she could not trust him with their daughters and began planning her escape. She also went about finding out how to talk to her children about sexual abuse. And that's what we would suggest to all polygamous mothers do. Get them out of there and explain to them about sexual abuse. Laura claims that polygamy is, quote, about gangs of criminals, end quote. Of course, you can read the rest of her story and find out how she got out of her long recovery from the trauma.
1: And all in the name of God.
0: All of this is in the name of God. And you know, again, that is that is my passion. They yeah. they, they bring God into it and say the Bible does it. And say Abram yes. was was righteous because of it. And so all of this from it's Joseph required Smith. required
1: to get to heaven. Required
0: and, for heaven. Yeah. And it, it's a lie. It's blasphemy against God to even believe. Uh, that's why it's called god's brothel,
1: yeah.
0: you know does God really set up brothels and harems? They bring Solomon in as an example. He had a harem of what a thousand women yeah. well, that's not an example. God tore the kingdom from his family because of it or gave him just left him with one part of the kingdom because of it. It was just it it they just defile god's name by bringing him into it. Mm. Uh, There's many, many other stories um, within the pages of this book that we certainly don't have time to tell about. It's informative for for those who are are not familiar with Mormon polygamy. Uh, There's a story about Brenda, who was born in the All Red Group, living in isolation and horrible poverty in Lavelle, Wyoming. The leader at one point asked the county for a permit to put in a cemetery, but they turned him down, so he just put one in anyway. That was where they would bury their stillborn babies or who else... There's a chapter about Cindy's life. She was from the Harmston Polygamy Group in Manti, Utah. Hmm. That group was started by James Harmston. She talks about the odd practices of sexual deviances of the Harmston group, and she's a woman that I have met and spoke with. And the last story in the book is about Sarah. She was raised in a family of 39 children and three wives, and her story is also heartrending. But you'll have to... Buy the book or borrow it from somebody. Maybe the library has it or whatever. We're not here selling books at all for any reason. We just want information to be out there and people to be educated about what really is going on in polygamy. Uh, but there, it's a very interesting story and very worth the read if you're interested in this topic at all. But we have a quote from the epilogue.
1: Yeah, this is again by Andrea Moore Emmett, God's Brothel, the epilogue. The women who courageously have told their stories in this book did so with the hope that they will help others either in giving those in polygamy the courage to escape or in educating the public, including law enforcement, judges, and social workers about dynamics of Bible-based polygamy and the abuses inherent in it.
0: And we wish more judges and social workers sure. and people in, in um, our are legislature or whomever makes or forces the laws would read these books. Yeah. We really wish they would do that because they might be not so easy on the perpetrators if they would. And we know what she means when she says Bible-based polygamy because they use the Bible as a basis to practice polygamy. But polygamy really isn't Bible-based the way they mean it. No. You will not find one single Bible story of polygamy that even closely represents the horrors and the abuses and the sexual behaviors of contemporary Mormon polygamist groups. Nor will you find one place in the Bible where God commands polygamy or includes it as part of gaining eternal life. Jesus is the savior, not polygamy. And yet we're taught polygamy is the savior.
1: It's great. I, I can't even imagine being a mother, like you were saying earlier, Having a child, giving birth to a female, knowing what her future could be, knowing what you've endured and what you've seen. I don't mean you, but I mean a a woman in polygamy. Mm -hmm. Seeing that and knowing that this daughter, by the age of 10, 11, or 12, is more like most likely to become abused
0: and, and some of them get doors. out because of that yeah uh, but I think in my own life and and I didn't go through some I went through a lot of physical abuse um, and poverty and that kind of thing but and a lot of emotional abuse uh, but my mother I also saw her misery yeah. and and yet she she would preach to me about polygamy for hours on end sometimes and how important it was, how necessary it was. And, and yes, it was miserable, but it would earn me a greater glory in heaven and all that. Because i suffered
1: it was, so much. Oh,
0: no. my word, it's so sad. There, it, there's no such thing as Bible-based <laughs> polygamy. There's really no such thing. Um, uh, polygamy... Again, Jesus is the Savior. And Probably we hear this not.
1: so often and over and over again. The, I, I never hear a good story almost. There's I mean, no I good
0: story. Yeah. And the Bible doesn't have any good stories no. either. Every no, one of doesn't. them are negative. Yeah. So anyway, read the book if you're interested in it. It's a very good book and informative about the different groups, different people in it. And again, Mm, I thank you, Earl, for helping me with this.
1: I guess it's my pleasure. I don't know. It's it's painful.
0: Sometimes it's heartrending, isn't it?
1: It's a whole other layer from what I had to endure.
0: I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. But thank you. (laughs) Thank you. You know, Acts chapter 4, verse 12 tells us that Jesus Christ is the only name given under heaven by which a person can be saved. Not the name of Joseph Smith is certainly not the name of polygamy. Mormonism teaches that unless the husband calls his wife or wives from their graves she cannot be resurrected or have eternal life. But God says only the name of Jesus has that power. And in Mormon temples every patron receives a new name without which they cannot be resurrected into the celestial kingdom. So to them, there are other names under heaven that they believe has the power to save them. What a surprise when they face Jesus and discover that it was really only his name that has the power to open the doors of heaven to anyone. We pray that you will call upon that name, the name of Jesus, and ignore every other name. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by a Shield and Refuge ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.